the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, December 12, 2022. Frank Sinatra's 107th birthday, I believe. <clears throat> 602-508-0960. Some more numbers coming at you. Those are the numbers to call this. That's Those are the digits to call this show. 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? We've got a lot going on today. Anthony Fauci had an op-ed in the New York Times that came out this weekend, and it's titled... Quote, a message to the next generation of scientists. I sure hope the next generation ignores it. It comes as a going away message as he retires. And it comes complete with all kinds of pictures of him over the years as a young man, as a growing and ever growing adult, speaking to clinicians, children of all ages, different audiences, you name it. It's a photo essay and it's a real essay, a bit of a going away present to him. And it's more than a bit of an insult to the rest of America. Usually the New York Times allows between 750 and 800 words for op-ed essays. This is twice that, weighing in around 1,500 words. Not so surprising, the New York Times acts capriciously here, inconsistently and preferentially for a man whose last two years of government service is defined by caprice and not a little misdirection and leisure domain. I'd call it an unwarranted encomium, but usually going away Praise usually is expected from others about you, not you about you. How this expert stayed in his position so long or can have the lack of humility for wrecking so much damage is a curiosity of the times. In fact, he says I or me nearly 60 times in this piece. I guess he wants to make sure we understand the pronouns. I don't know. He came to most of our attention, at least since the aid crisis in the late 1980s and early 1990s, uh, in early 2020, as COVID was just beginning to make news. And he quickly became the face and voice for direction, instruction, expertise and everything else on COVID. His first salvo into the public, though, was a lie. I do not use that word lightly, and it is substantiated but covered up by the fact checking industry. In March of 2020, he was being interviewed on NBC and was asked if we should be wearing medical masks. This is what he said, quote, there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you are in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better and it might even block a droplet. But it is not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face, close quote. And then he said, you can harm yourself by getting bacteria or other viral, uh, viral particles or what the interviewer called schmutz on your face, the way you fiddle with it, the way Joe Biden always did, by the way. Now, if you look that quote up, the fact checkers at places like CNN and Reuters will say things like this. Here's CNN. At the time, quote, at the time, Dr. Fauci was concerned there would not be enough supply to go around. There wouldn't be enough protective equipment for healthcare workers. And that was, in fact, what he later said. Close quote. And that was, in fact, what he later said when some congressman asked him about his earlier quote. 
But that is not what he said in March of 2020. He didn't say there's no reason to be wearing a mask because health care workers need the supply. He didn't say that. He said there was no reason because they didn't work. So, yes, based on his own retractions, he lied to the public, didn't get it wrong, lied. And that was right out of the COVID box. This would be the trajectory for much of 2020 and, in fact, 2021. He three times told Congress in 2020 there would not be a vaccine against COVID until sometime in 2021. In fact, in one interview in September of 2020, he said he didn't expect a vaccine until late 2021. For the record, Joe Biden got his first vaccine shot in December of 2020. In that same month of December 2020, Fauci was found to be lying again. As the New York Times reported then on Fauci and the issue of herd immunity, quote, in the pandemic's early days, Dr. Fauci tended to cite the same 60 to 70 percent estimate for herd immunity that most experts did as what would be necessary to achieve it. About a month ago, he began saying 70, 75 percent in television interviews. And last week, again, this is December 2020, and last week in an interview with CNBC News, he said 75, 80, 85 percent, and again, 75 to 80 plus percent. In a telephone interview, still quoting the New York Times the next day, Dr. Fauci acknowledged that he had slowly but deliberately been moving the goalposts. He did so, he said, partly based on new science and partly based on his gut feeling that the country is finally ready to hear what he truly thinks. Dr. Fauci said that weeks ago he had hesitated to publicly raise his estimate because many Americans seemed hesitant about vaccines, which they would need to accept almost universally in order for the country to achieve herd immunity, close quote from the New York Times. So again, another lie to the American people. He didn't give us his real opinion. He told us he shielded us from his real opinion, not because of expertise of any kind particularly, but because he didn't think Americans were ready to hear his real opinion. He didn't think that. He was controlling information based on his vast study of American public opinion, I guess, even as in his farewell interviews he tells us how un-NA-political he is. In 2020, he, Fauci, told CBS... Donald Trump listens to what he says. That's when Donald Trump was his boss. The following year, last year, when Joe Biden became his boss, Fauci told the New York Times his relationship with Donald Trump was not good. And at the beginning of the Biden administration, I think it was the first thing Fauci told the country when Biden was sworn in, when he was asked to stay on, that the difference between the Biden administration and the Trump administration would be that under the new president, Biden, if they didn't know something, they weren't going to guess. Well, how much guessing was there in 2020? How much misdirection and how much came from him? How much in 2021? How much this year? When he was opposing outdoor gatherings, including Easter and other holidays in 2020, and then asked about BLM protests outside, he said he wouldn't give an opinion on political gatherings. It didn't wash, or it doesn't. Either gatherings outdoors were unhealthy and risky for every reason but political ones, or they weren't. But he played politics with that one. 
He didn't want to be on the opposite side of the BLM protests. Another way to put it, he played politics with public health, your health. All of that debate was nonsense and wrong, ab initio anyway, as outdoor activity should have never been restricted. And how much was done in 2021 that turned out to be based on things Fauci didn't know, from mask and vaccine mandates to school closings? The man doesn't deserve the children's books lionizing him, and they are there, much less 1,500 words in a retirement party from the New York Times. Were he any other public health official, he'd have been fired and dismissed as playing games with science and lying to the public well over two years ago. The man who said attacks on him are attacks on science is a pretty has a pretty perverted understanding of the truth, I should think. And it caused a lot of damage to this society, to this country, especially our youth. Drug use poisonings or overdose deaths among adolescents doubled during COVID as but just one indicia. There is science and there is science. There was science and there was science. Are we just going to memory hold the study from the Johns Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics from earlier this year? It analyzed studies from the first surge of the pandemic to investigate widely pushed claims that stringent restrictions would limit deaths. Instead, the meta-analysis concluded that lockdowns across the U.S. and Europe had only, quote, reduced COVID-19 mortality by two-tenths of a percent on average, close quote. Worse, some of the studies even suggested that limiting gatherings in safe outdoor spots may have been, quote, counterproductive and increasing of the death rate. The authors noted. But scientism, a preferred view of outcome based scientific expertise, has become an unfortunate new replacement of our politics and what we used to call political science. The other day, I was quoting Leo Strauss on what Winston Churchill taught the world, which is or was as good a definition of political science as any, at least the old political science. Quote, we are supposed to train ourselves and others in seeing things as they are. That's a pretty good or was a pretty good guideline for the profession of political science or politics or even leadership. Seeing things as they really are. This changed in the second half of the last century as scientism was grabbed hold of by the progressive movement. Professor Brad Watson, author of more books on progressivism than anyone I know of, defines the movement this way. Quote, the progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by an organic evolutionary model of the Constitution that facilitates the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and political control, especially at the national level, close quote. This all comes with major applications, one of them being, quote, that some individuals stand outside the democratic process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as method, who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process smoothly along, close quote. Does anything define Anthony Fauci better than that. Governance by credential and expertise converted into messianism by an elite. In 1984, the novel 1984, the word black-white was invented. 
The rationale was the durable for us to recall. Quote, this word has two mutually contradictory meanings, George Orwell taught us. Applied to an opponent, it means the habit of impudently claiming that black is white, in contradiction of the plain facts. Applied to a party member, it means a loyal willingness to say that black is white when party discipline demands this. But it means also the ability to believe that black is white and more to know that black is white and to forget that one has ever believed the opposite, the contrary. This demands a continuous alteration of the past made possible by the system of thought which really embraces all the West and which is known in Newspeak as doublethink. Close quote. Note the most important part of this linguistic sleight of hand. It means one thing and gives aid and comfort to a party member if the party member stays loyal to the cause and party discipline against the evidence of plain facts and reality. But the point is to establish the sleight of hand with such saturation that it leads one to believing in the lie and then to move from belief to knowledge. Heck, you might even just call it science. If you're really having a hard time convincing the non-party members, then you can make them all anti-science. Now we're beginning to understand a little bit of the mindset that censored so much on Twitter as the latest revelations are showing. What they are, what we are in reality, is outside the party. But we live in a country where the culture has become the party and the culture shapes reality. Let us not forget in the end, Big Brother wins in 1984. I'm not sure most people remember that. The tyranny wins. Let's not just make Orwell fiction again. Let's refictionalize the conclusion of the very thing we want to make fiction again. There's some good double thing for you. Hashtag MOFA. Make Orwell fiction again. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Turning Point USA is bringing America's biggest freedom party to Phoenix this December 17th through the 20th. Coming right up at the Phoenix Convention Center. America Fest 2022 will feature some of the biggest names in the conservative movement, like, of course, Charlie Kirk, Laura Ingram, Kaylee McEnany, and many more. There'll be nightly concerts featuring music legends Riley Green, Chase Rice, Ray Lynn, and more. Don't miss the largest celebration of our constitutional rights and freedoms in America. Right now to the next caller at 602-508-0960. I will give a pair of VIP tickets to AmeriFest, America Fest 2022. Next caller gets a pair, that is two VIP tickets. That includes access to the general sessions, VIP lounge access, reserved seating area. And if you don't win tickets, you can buy them online at amfest.com, amfest.com. We do have a special discount for 960 listeners. Use code PATRIOT, PATRIOT, when checking out at amfest.com to get 50% off your tickets if you didn't uh, get a free pair here and would like to go anyway. That 50% off is for the general admission. Again, head to amfest.com now for more event details or of course, give us a call at 602-508-0960. Why do they hate Elon Musk so much? It's so many reasons, so many reasons. 
Um, you know, and it's it's interesting, I suppose. There's some criticism of the way he has been unveiling uh, the uh, the inside Twitter emails and inside Twitter communications as they were going about banning and shadow banning people. He's he's been criticized by some, even some on our side, by you know releasing it to you know Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss and Michael Schellenberger for putting them out on Substack and unloading them in uh, serial tweets themselves. The criticism from those that are happy to see it, nonetheless, who who, who support the, uh, the the sunlight, the criticism is that they're not giving them to regular journalists who can do in-depth dives and fact-checking. Well, the criticism falls a little flat because the mainstream journalists have no interest in this story in the first place. They're not talking about it at all. Saw a thing earlier today. Combined, NBC, ABC, and CBS have given this uh, blockbuster story one. One mention. One mention. All combined. One. Not one each. All of them combined have given it one mention. They're not interested in this story. It's not in their interest. I think I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, and, you know, people are speculating on Twitter why they're not interested. I, I, I think it's a pretty simple answer. I think they agree with what pre-Elon Musk Twitter was doing. I think they agree with censoring the great Barrington, Jay Bhattacharya folks and the kinds of stuff we were doing. I think they agree with banning a former United States president, even though they wouldn't ban and haven't banned people like Louis Farrakhan or the Taliban, which has an account on Twitter, always did. Uh, or for that matter, Ayatollah Khamenei had an account and still has an account on Twitter. I think they agree. They actually think that conservatives, Republicans, the great Barrington folks, they think we're worse than all that. Or at least that's what they want people to think. Uh, they agree with the banning. They agree with the shadow banning. They agree with the suspending of accounts. They agree with the capricious nature of it. They agree with the indiscriminate nature of it. They agree with the violation of their own codes. For any reason to defeat conservatism or Republicans is justification enough for them. So I don't quite blame Elon for giving it to alternative types like Taibbi and Barry Weiss and Michael Schellenberger. I, I don't any more than I – I mean, if look – if if take Schellenberger for example, there's probably no better journalist, no better journalist than Schellenberger on a few different issues, including the chronic homeless crisis, uh, including the rise and fall of once great cities like San Francisco. Um, he's as good a journalist, if not better. Uh, yes, let me amend that. He is not as good a journalist, if not better, than what you get at the San Francisco Chronicle or L.A. Times. He is better. He's better. He gets it. He does the uh, shoe leather work, and he takes uh, not only what seems to be the unpopular opinions in his conclusions because they go against conventional wisdom, but the actually correct ones. I'm Seth. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dabrowski, Jr. He comes with his culture and economy update for us. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon 
Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Also the host of his own radio show every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. How are you, John? Fantastic. Happy oh. birthday, right, to someone. A- happy today. birthday to Francis yes. Albertson. 107, mm-hmm. I think. 107. 107. Wouldn't he, that be something? Well, he, he, he lives on. He certainly does. He lives on. There's there's some nice lines in a, in a book uh, a friend of mine was... Uh, uh, reminding me of Ray, I don't know if you ever read uh, Ray Bradbury, but he has a nice line about that is how you live on. What gardens do you plant? And he didn't mm-hmm. mean physical gardens, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. That's how you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a good way to remember people. Anyway, huge contribution to our culture, but you're a huge contribution to this show and our community, John. Uh, what's in the news today that's interesting to you, brother? Well, we saw the markets have a nice rally today after last week's, you know, romping. It was it was a terrible week, and that was uh, due to some uh, better-than-expected jobs uh, reports that we had. But we do have uh, consumer inflation uh, still out there, and we've got the CPI numbers coming out tomorrow, along with the Fed, uh, which they are... Um, you know, expected to be uh, raising rates once again this week, and the thought would be as a half a percentage point. I know we've been talking about this on and on for the last month or so, uh, but uh, we're going to see tomorrow the CPI report and decide whether or not uh, the Fed's going to be, you know, doing that half a percent rate hike. If so, you know, it seems like that's probably in baked into the price of the market at the moment. But if the comments are uh, again, a little bit harsher than expected. It's very possible that the market could react negatively to, you know, even a half a percent rate hike. Yeah, right. And uh, and and along those lines, uh, the, it's interesting uh, that Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, mm-hmm. is getting a lot of news today for saying that inflation will go down probably the end towards the end of next year. She, I guess, the quote is much lower inflation by the end of. 2023. So yep. to do that, you have to tie, I suppose, tie the policy of what the Fed is doing to get us there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk of recession. And yep. you know, the direct she question that too. Yeah. The right. direct question to her was, is, you know, do you think we're going to be, you know, going into a recession? And she was very careful about how she was wording it. But she basically indicated that if we did go into a recession, she felt it would be a mild recession. Uh, she was uh, pretty positive about, uh, you know, her comments were, were fairly positive, I would say. There was a uh, one expert I was reading in a uh, CNBC report on the, uh, the expected cooling of consumer inflation. Uh, she's, this uh, expert said, I think if you get a higher print, I think the stock sell-off is disproportionately mm-hmm. stronger. Yes. Stock sell-off. Talk yeah. to us about that. Right, and that's where I was, uh, you know, saying earlier yeah. that uh, if if the comments, even though we we, we may see, uh, you know, a slowdown in in inflation, uh, and we're seeing that in signs uh, across the board, other than um, right now we're still seeing some very solid jobs out there, uh, but they want to see uh, not only that uh, falling, but we're seeing the cost of goods. Uh, starting to come down. I, I filled up my gas today, and prices certainly have come down. They're still much, much higher than they were, of course, under the past minute, past administration. Yeah. Uh, but they certainly have uh, come down. Uh, but she's saying again, if if the, if uh, you know uh, Fed Chair Powell comes out and speaks very harshly about things, the tone of what he's going to say uh, could uh, still spark uh, you know some real volatility in the stock market. And that's what she's saying, even if we're seeing an indication that inflation is beginning to uh, slow down. Yeah, and 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 when when you see those 
when you see when you see inflation coming down, but you have a recession at the same time, mm-hmm. those kind of lines crossing there. Is that when is that what makes one worry about the sell off the most, or do people find that more of a time to buy? Well, again, you know, we, there's there's always that old adage. Again, if you're a long-term investor, you want to buy low and sell high, yeah, right? And yeah. so if we do see another pullback in the market, there's going to be buyers out there. They're going to be choosy as to where they're buying certain sectors of the market versus others. You know, a place right now maybe to think about is, uh, you know, companies that are really making money. We're seeing these these uh, startup companies, but they used to have those SPACs we all heard about. These are uh, these IPOs that are coming out in a different fashion. Uh, and uh, a lot of those companies certainly have lost uh, the ability to really you know, do what they wanted to do coming, coming to the markets. Uh, and um, so we want to invest in companies right now that have proven that they're profitable and that they, they have sustainability. And so we want to be a little bit more cautious of, of how we're investing, where we're investing, and that's what we're doing for our clients yeah, right nope, now. Yeah, that's why God invented yeah. you, John, and you do it the best. Thank you, sir. Again, uh, Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. Thank you, Seth. GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Easy to remember. John Dombrowski, thank you so much, sir. You bet. You betcha. I am Seth Leaps, and we are at 602 980 By the way, if you uh, didn't get uh, those uh, free tickets uh, that we were giving away for America Fest 2022, we'll we'll be doing some more, uh, even maybe in this show, maybe some more tomorrow too, because it's coming up December 17th. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, as we were just talking, and want to invest but not in the stock market, our sponsors at Wyatt Refi have an investment for you with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and it's an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out by going to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34. That's 888-Y-Refi-34. Good folks. I know them well. They're here locally. You can visit with them. You won't get a, uh, you won't get a, a any any kind of sales push. They just like talking about what they're doing. I want to talk a little bit more about this Twitter stuff. Uh, John Gabriel, pretty funny. Elon Musk uh, released today the fact. Uh, are you guys familiar with Twitter um, and the and the notion or the concept of blue checks? Uh, blue checks means you have a Twitter verified account. A lot of people are on Twitter, but they don't have a blue check. Uh, I, I never quite understood what the point of the blue check was, except some kind of um, some kind of validation from the panjandrums at Twitter that uh, you have been verified to be who you say you are. Um, and it, it, it for a while became a quest by many people on Twitter. They wanted to get a blue check. It was important to them 
that they have a blue check uh, on their on their Twitter account or on their Twitter feed. And I'm, I don't know, it's equivalent roughly to, you know, making sure you have the most updated software. I don't know, the most uh, the most updated web browser, the most updated new thing is, I guess, kind of comparable to what it was like. I never thought it meant that much because there were a lot of people I followed on Twitter who didn't have blue checks. But it is kind of funny, John Gabriel, just when he sees Elon Musk saying, in a few months we'll remove all legacy blue checks. The way in which they were given out was corrupt and nonsensical. I have no doubt about that. It's mostly given out to uh, mostly given out to uh, people on the left. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and John Gabriel writes, but where will I get my personal self-worth? Yes, uh, exactly right. Exactly right. People who find their self-worth in things like this. Uh, and you'd be amazed how many do. Um, it's um, They just crave it. It's just really important to them that they get the dawning of the scepter by the elites. And I, th I think that's a real problem with society. When you get your self-worth from something other than your own output or other than your own uh, virtues, um, you start engaging in things that don't matter, that please supposedly the crowd or the herd. You start not focusing on virtue and virtuous acts. You start focusing on virtue signaling, saying the right thing because it's the popular thing to do or the quote-unquote thing of the moment. Speaking of, um, this, this is... Um, you guys may remember during much of COVID uh, hysteria, one of the CNN regular contributors on this or quote unquote experts, maybe you might call her a CNN blue check, uh, was a Leanna Wen physician. Yeah, Bill's nodding. You remember her. Uh, she was uh, she was one of the. Uh, what's the phrase, Bill? Uh, team fear. Is that it? Team fear. Um, and now she's in the Washington Post today um, retracting, um, if not saying it, retracting a lot of it. The House of Representatives just got its act together and passed the uh, Defense Authorization Act. That is to say the appropriation of funds, the appropriation of monies for the Department of Defense. This was being held up because a lot of people were trying to put in their preferred little things here and there that had nothing to do with defense. And um, the House is taking some heat because they removed the vaccination mandates for the military in the House approved uh, authorization. I hope it stays that I, I, I hope that survives. I hope the House version survives where that mandate uh, to the military is removed, despite the wishes of this administration. And uh, I don't know what grabbed her. I don't know what got her. Uh, Leanna Wen is in the Washington Post today uh, in agreement with the with the House of Representatives, believe it or not. Uh, you didn't get this from her two years ago. You didn't get this from her a year ago. But I'll just read you a little bit of the kinds of stuff she is seemingly feels free to say right now. She is a physician at uh, GW, I believe, former head of Planned Parenthood also, I think. She writes, public health, quote, public health officials must be up front that the coronavirus vaccine is not equivalent to the more effective vaccines as against, like, say, polio. That doesn't mean that we should stop promoting it, she writes. I've argued that much more needs to be done to urge the elderly to receive the coronavirus boosters. Uh, 
Nearly nine out of 10 deaths from COVID are among those 65 and older, she writes. This, this, this was not something she could say a year ago. This is not something she could say two years ago. It was something we pointed out. God, we crunched all the data all the time saying this. This and the obese, the aged and the obese are the ones who are most at risk. Nine out of 10 deaths from COVID are among those 65 or older. She now feels comfortable to say, and the Washington Post now feels comfortable to promote. Why are we listening to experts who take two years to get to a truth that amateurs got two years ago. Why? 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 This is this is, goes back to my monologue about elites, progressivism, expertise, and scientism. But she then goes on to write, I don't think the coronavirus vaccine meets the bar for across-the-board mandates. Again, not something she was saying a year and two years ago. Next sentence. Young, healthy people, most of whom already had covid are very unlikely to become seriously ill. And there is little, if any, lasting difference between the vaccinated and unvaccinated people's likelihood of infecting others. Do you know how many friends I lost on that point two years ago and a year ago by saying that? If you look at the data, the vaccine is not stopping the transition from those who are vaccinated against those who aren't. Do you know how many fights, fights, arguments I got into saying what was obvious to anyone who spent a little time with the data and looking at the studies people were throwing around without even reading them just because the head of the CDC wanted us to read them or the Surgeon General used it to defend the indefensible. Yeah, okay, I just, all of this was so unnecessary. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5089-60. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You likely already would like it. You already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. That's the Midas Gold Group, veteran-owned. Proud supporters of this show and our right to talk and teach. They're fighting for your right to the financial privacy and stability that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Sebastian Gorka, and thousands of you already know and trust. That's the Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix or call 480-360-3000-480-360-3000. This is a uh, a sad piece of news that didn't probably make make it to a lot of a lot of print newspapers that that most people subscribe to. Uh, but uh, this from the New York Post. I saw the story last week. I meant to get it uh, get it to you. Uh, it's titled "Awful News on Kids' Weed Use Should Slow the Legalization Roll." Another ugly consequence of marijuana legalization is rearing its head. The growing rates of use and dangerous abuse of marijuana among marijuana use among kids and teens in the U in the U.S. A study published Monday by Clinical Toxicology reports a 245 percent jump in the number of calls related to pot use among among six to 18 year olds 
over the past 20 years with close to 1,800 such calls in 2020 alone. I was debating this big time in 2015, 2016. Remember those appearances I was doing on Horizon Bill with PBS and they kept saying, well, you know, we're just legalizing it for adults. And I was pointing out you can't do that. People are just they're, – they're, not, they're very, not very smart on this. Every time this issue comes up, a normally smart person who I normally like, Greg Gutfeld, just gets it wrong all the time. He said last week on this to Jesse Waters, he said, well, you can't stop it because, uh, you know, um, kids are going to use it no matter what. You know, you have alcohol only for people over the age of 21 and kids still use it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the argument to get rid of every single law in the books, including speed limits and bank robberies. Yeah, they're going to break it anyway. But you know what Greg misses? And they all who make this argument, it's a stupid argument. You know what they miss all the time? Here's what they miss all the time. The alcohol use of teens is a lot, lot, lot more than the pot use of teens. Why? Because of the illegality. Because of it. You want more? Make it more widespread. Why do you think people are trying to get into the business and make it more widespread to sell less? Anyway, one of the great national experts on this, Dr. Bertha Mardris from uh, Harvard, will be with us at the uh, top of the next hour. So stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 